We're going to be looking at Psalm 119 again tonight. So if you want to uh, open your Bible to that, if you've got one, um, and we'll read um, verses 9 to 16. So it's Psalm 119, and we're going to focus on verses 9 to 16 tonight. <clears throat> How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Now, um, every year as a teacher, we have five days that are allocated for teacher training. You'll be familiar with this um, from when you were at school and you got extra days off, or as a parent, you suddenly realise, oh, it's on the calendar that the kids aren't in school on Monday and, and we need to sort something out for them. Uh, we have five, five of those um, allocated uh, for training every year. Now, I've been teaching for 18 years, so I've worked out that's 90 days of training. Uh, 630 hours of that training. Um, some of it has been interesting but useless. Some of it has been terrible, a complete waste of time. A lot of a lot of it has been so bad that it's funny. I actually had a couple of what I consider to be hilarious stories that I was going to tell uh, tonight, but um, I've had to cut them for the sake of time. Um, there's one hour that I would say, one out of those 630 hours that I would say had a massive effect on my teaching career, my working life. And it was a training session that somebody did on um, using Microsoft Excel. Um, at the time, I mean, we'll have people here who have never used it. We'll have people who we, I'm sure who, who are absolutely brilliant at it. So um, if this is like easy to you, then great, you can teach me more. But at the time, I was using Excel to like work out for like use formulas to work out stuff about kids' grades, and I could use conditional formatting. So if somebody was below target, it would appear red or and things like that. But I went to this uh, session where one of the IT teachers taught me how to use the VLOOKUP function and mail merge those into a document, and that has absolutely revolutionised my working life. It has saved me hours and hours. It has saved me possibly the 630 wasted hours of, of the other 629 wasted hours of training that I had. Um, it's been absolutely brilliant. I had an exposure to Excel, but I just hadn't been utilizing it to its full potential. Now, I'm not by learning that one formula and how to do something, I'm still not using it to its full potential. Um, but it's helped me uh, to unlock something that I hadn't been able to do before. Um, somebody showed me how to engage it in a different way and it transformed my life. I have shown other people how to do that over the years um, who I've worked with and some have had their minds blown, some have been like, oh, I'm just not bothered about doing that, I'm going to keep doing it. The time-wasting daft way, um, why they've chosen to do that, I don't know. Um, but um, the point is I, I'd used it, but I, I didn't understand everything that it could do. Oh, Lisa's just showing me something here. Yeah, me, me, me other laptop that I needed for some other things is now completely uh, shut down. So anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. Anyway, what I'm saying is um, we're concluding this series on why we love the Bible here. And because we love it, we want to unleash its full potential. 
We don't want to just be messing around with like easy little formulas and conditional formatting when we could be doing VLOOKUP and mail merge. We want to unlock the full potential and unleash the, the full potential of the Bible. So we've looked at the sort of value of God's word and the wisdom uh, that it has, um, the delight that we can find in it. And this week, we want to think practically about how we can engage with God's word. So those verses that I just read, they say a lot about the, the wisdom and the value of God's word. They say a lot about the delight that, that it brings the, the writer. Um, but we're not going to recap what, what Ben and, and Scott said um, over the last couple of weeks here. We're going to focus on the different ways that the, the writer of this psalm says that he interacts with God's word. Now, it's interesting that reading God's word is not mentioned in this section at all or in the entire psalm, but we have to start there. We can't do any of the things that he mentions here, which are thinking about it, meditating on it, living it. We can't do any of those things if we never open it. So we've got to start by reading it. He doesn't say that here, but we'd obviously have to start with that to do any of these other things. Now, it's interesting as well when we think about reading God's word that the language that the Bible predominantly uses is hearing God's word. And so, yes, like we want to be reading it, um, but the church has thrived in areas and in eras of low literacy and illiteracy where people couldn't read God's word and they were relying on it being spoken to them. God's word is just as powerful in the life of somebody who can't read it or struggles to read it. And we have the benefit of a device that we carry around in our pocket all the time that can read God's word to us. So um, I want to say the starting point for the Bible is opening it and reading it. But really when I say read it, I just mean getting those words, being exposed to those words. That could be through reading, it could be through hearing it. I would advise doing both. I, I do both. I read it and I, I listen to it. Um, so we start with hearing God's word, being exposed to his word, but we don't want to stop there. I read a lot of things, but I don't want to read the Bible in the same way that I read a Facebook status update or the same way that I read a kid's work that I'm marking at school or the same way I read the BBC website or rugby statistics. I don't want to read it in the same way as those things. Christianity is not about gaining more information from a textbook so that I know enough to pass the, the Christian exam. It's about a relationship with a person, Jesus. We read the Bible, we listen to God's word because it helps us to get to know him. Scott talked last week about how reading the Bible is relational. And this week, with the things we look at, we're just going to flesh that out a bit in, in practical terms. So from this little section of the Psalm, uh, of Psalm 119 here, um, we're going to look at eight ways that we can experience the benefits of God's word. Eight ways that we can experience delight in his word. Eight ways that we can engage with the God who speaks those words. These aren't the only ways you can engage with the Bible. They're not in any order of priority. We're just going to go through them as they come. So um, let's start with verse nine. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? The first way that we can engage with God's word is by living it, by putting it into practice in our lives. This is living it out. It's reading it, hearing it, and then making decisions based on that. Like I read an interesting article the other day about a YouTuber called Mr. Beast who launched 200 virtual restaurants overnight using a cloud kitchen model. It was so interesting to me that it passed the threshold of, this is interesting enough that I'm going to tell Lisa about it. However, it had no impact whatsoever on the decisions that I made that day. Nothing I did was in the slightest affected by this information that I found really interesting. 
when we hear God's word, we can engage with it by letting it shape our lives. So, for example, Jesus says um, in Matthew 20, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must, must be your servant. And so Jesus here um, emphasizes this idea of servant leadership, of serving rather than seeking to be served, which goes against everything in our culture. So if I want to engage with God's word by living it, then when I wake up in the morning feeling like I should be the Lord of the whole household and everybody should be focused on my needs, that I need to remember these words from Jesus to remind me to make decisions to serve Lisa and the boys rather than looking to them to meet my needs. Then I go to work and I've got a, a small team of people that I, that I manage and I need this verse to help me to make decisions to the benefit the whole team, not just using people to make my life easier. And I might come home and have a meeting with Ben and Scott as we discuss what, what's going on in the life of Grace Church and, and how we lead the church. And I need this verse to be embedded in my life so that I can help lead this community with humility and love and point us all towards Jesus rather than just thinking, well, I like to do this, so let's get everybody to do this. I'll engage in God's word and I'll grow in my relationship with him by putting into practice what he said, by living his word. That's number one. Verse 10, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. So the second way that we engage with God's word is that we seek God in his word. He's seeking with all his heart, he's wholeheartedly seeking. It's not cold, detached reading of information. He's wholeheartedly seeking God. We, we listen to God's word, we read God's word because we want to find out what he's like. That's how you grow in a relationship. We desire to know more of God. When I was thinking about this, I was reminded of um, the early stages of my interest in Lisa when um, I'd met Lisa at, at college and I'd sort of roughly known her for a bit, but then I got to know her a bit better and I started uh, developing feelings for her. And so during that time, I wanted to find out um, everything I could about her. Now, you could do that by talking to her, but that wasn't really my skill set, talking to people. So um, the way I did it was by asking people like what they knew about it. So Lisa used to hang around in the library. I never went in the library, um, but some of my friends did. So I used to say, oh, Lisa was in the library. Um, well, what, like, what, what does she like doing? Oh, does she like this sort of uh, music? Oh, what did she think of that? Uh, did she, oh, she was doing that. Uh, um, did, did Lisa, I was playing a coup, you know, like ask other things to throw them off the center. Did Lisa think it was funny, that thing that I did in the physics lesson the other day? And like trying to find out information um, about it. I think that was probably like the mid 90s version of like stalking somebody's Facebook profile. Um, I was seeking out any little fact about her. That wasn't because I was just thinking, I need facts about Lisa. It was because I was really interested in her. I wanted to grow in a relationship with her. I just wanted to know everything that I could about her. We don't primarily open the Bible thinking, right, this morning, I'm going to try and establish the Christian position on whatever issue it is. There's a, there's a place for that. But primarily, we open the Bible thinking, what is God wanting to show me about himself today? What is God wanting to reveal to, to me about himself today? once went to um, a, a, a session at a conference with Wayne Grudem. Um, it was somebody who worked on the ESV translation of the Bible. And he spoke about when he was working on that. And, you know, they'd spend all day sort of discussing how should this 
Greek word be translated or whatever. And he was just, he was working with the Bible and other people like all day. And he spoke about how, um, because he was just working on the words of the Bible all day, he'd let his own sort of uh, devotional time, for want of a better word, slip. He wasn't reading the Bible himself on a morning and, and seeking God in it. He, he was thinking, oh, yeah, I'm engaging with the Bible all day. But then he realized, and his wife started to realize that his, his attitudes and his behavior started to slip and said, look, you need to be um, seeking God in his words. Not just, in, not just working with the Bible, which he was doing, and it was great. It was like really useful. It's benefited loads of people. But he needed to seek God in his words. It is it's wholeheartedly seek him, um, not just be like doing actions with his word. So we engage with God's word and grow in our relationship with him by living out his word and by seeking him, wholeheartedly seeking him in his word. That's the second one. Let's move on to the third. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, in the, in the Bible, the heart doesn't mean the sort of emotional center of you that's different from the head, which is maybe how we use it. Um, in the Bible, the heart is used to mean the center of everything you are. Everything about us comes from the heart. And so the writer of this psalm here says that he's hidden God's word in his heart. Now, I would have said that hiding God's words in your heart is something that God does to you more than we do it, except for the fact that this guy writing it says he's done it. I've hidden your word in my heart. To hide God's word in our heart is to push it down deep inside us. It's allowing his word to shape us. It's not holding it at arm's length. Another translation said it's storing up. It's being exposed repeatedly and letting it shape you, storing it up in your heart. To hide God's word in your heart is to treasure his words, but it's not treasuring it like an antique that you don't touch and you're just examining it. It's like the difference between swilling the wine around in your mouth to examine whether the musky overtones are strong enough before spitting it out versus cracking open the cork and filling up everybody's glasses to toast the bride and groom. We treasure it, we store it up, we, we savor it, we hide it in our heart. So we engage with God's word by living it, making decisions based on it, by wholeheartedly seeking him, by looking to see who he is in it, and by hiding it in his heart, by soaking ourselves in it and letting it push down deep into us and change who we are. The fourth one is that we learn from it. Verse 12, praise be to you, Lord, teach me your decrees. Now, this person who wrote this psalm has written the longest chapter in the Bible, all about the Bible. It's fair to say that he's got a much deeper knowledge of God's word than any of us here, but still he's asking God to teach him. He approaches God with a humble, teachable attitude. When we open the Bible, we open it to learn. God's word sits above us. We don't sit above the Bible saying, oh, this is what's good and this is what's bad. The Bible sits above us. There's a friend of ours who started off um, when she met a Christian and, and started looking into the Bible for herself, started off with a pen crossing out all the bits she didn't like. And that person now comes with a humble attitude. She's hungry to learn from the Bible. She's actually at Bible college now, studying, uh, studying God's word. Now, all God's words in the, the Bible are true. They're all trustworthy. They're all reliable. They're not all equally easy to understand. And so we just need to come being prepared to learn. We don't need to be intimidated. We're all in a position of learning before from God's word. And we always will be 
um, until Jesus returns. So the goal of this learning isn't to know everything because we can't. It's just to learn more about who he is. So we engage with God's word and grow in our relationship by him, by living out what he says, by seeking him and his word, by hiding his word in our heart and by learning from his word. And fifth, we engage with God's word by speaking it. In verse 13, he says, with my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. The writer engages with God's word by speaking it out. We can talk about God's word with others. We can read it out loud to ourselves. We can repeat it to ourselves. I've said Psalm 54 verse 6 to myself out loud loads of times when I was going through a really difficult time at work and I was really afraid to go into work. I would be saying to myself in the car on the way there, Psalm 56, sorry, Psalm 54 verse 6, in God I trust and I'm not afraid. What can me immortals do to me? Because I was frightened of me immortals that were out to get me. I say, well, in God I trust, I'm not afraid. What can me immortals do to me? And saying it out loud over and over again has had an effect on me. I know Lisa often gets voice messages on WhatsApp from people who like reading Bible verses that they've been um, reading that day and, and passing them on to Lisa. By speaking out God's word and other people speaking it to us and us speaking it to ourselves, we engage with God's word and we grow in our relationship with him. Um, so let's just finish off the last couple of verses of this section. We've said that these are, there's different ways that the, the psalm writer here is engaging with God's word. <clears throat> he engages with it by living it out. He engages uh, with God's word by seeking God in his word, uh, by hiding God's word in his heart, by learning from God's word and by speaking his word. The sixth thing is that he engages with God's word by following it. Verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I would say that following it here is similar to the living it in, in verse 9, so I'm going to say a lot about this one. But I think it's interesting that he says he rejoices in following it as one rejoices in great riches. He's saying he rejoices in following it in the same way as somebody rejoices in great riches. He follows it because he recognises the value in it. Think of the lengths people will go to, the time, the effort, the attention they'll put in to earn material riches. And God's word is consistently clear that the Bible is far more precious and has much more value for our lives. So we engage with God's word and we can grow in our relationship with him by following what he says. The seventh way that we can engage with God's word is to meditate on his word. So verse 15 says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Now, meditation is one of the biggest trends, the biggest, like, I don't know, growth areas um, of the last couple of years. Mindfulness meditation, meditation apps, um, the benefits on physical health, mental health, wellness, creativity, productivity. Meditation is huge at the moment. And probably because it's so huge and there's so many different sorts of people practicing meditation for different sorts of reasons, it means a lot of different things to different people. Now, it's clear that the writer of this psalm thinks that meditating on God's word is a big deal. He mentions it eight times. So in verse 23, he says, Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. Verse 27, Cause me to understand the way of your precepts, that I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. Verse 48, I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. 
Verse 78, may the arrogant be put to shame for wronging me without cause, but I will meditate on your precepts. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Verse 99, I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. And verse 148, my eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Now, sort of traditional, like Eastern, like Buddhist type meditation is trying to empty your mind, just get everything out of your mind. The sort of modern, like trendy meditation is to try and like focus your mind on something. The sort of meditation that the writer of this psalm is talking about is filling your mind with God's word. He's not just saying, I meditate all day long, or I, meditate, I keep awake in the night because I'm meditating. He's saying he's meditating on your promises. He meditates on your decrees, on your laws. He's meditating on God's word. He's filling his mind with God's word. So to meditate on God's word is to think about it, to dwell on it, to chew it over. Not just moving on to the next thing, but um, examining it from different angles, thinking about how it affects my life, praying it for myself and others. So I thought I'd uh, use myself as a guinea pig uh, for this for you. And so yesterday I thought I'm going to just open the Bible and pick a random verse and meditate on it during the day and share the results with you here. So I opened my Bible and I opened it to Song of Songs. Um, and so I went with Song of Songs, um, chapter one, verse one which says, let, me, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. So I thought, right, I said it could, I, I was going to say it could be done with any verse. I can't honestly go there tomorrow night now and say, oh, I just picked it random if I didn't go with the first one that I found. So I've got to go with that one. So I thought, right, I'm just going to start thinking about this. Read it a couple of times on the morning, just like bringing it back to mind during the day, thinking about it a bit. And I started off thinking, you know, this is in the, in the book of the Song of Songs. This is like this first verse is a woman speaking to um, a husband or somebody who's, who's about to become her husband. And I was just thinking, like, what, what a verse that is that she's saying, let him kiss, his, kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. And that's in a book, the Bible, that is incorrectly portrayed as suppressing women and or suppressing physical in intimacy. But there you've got um, a woman expressing physical desire um, for her husband. I was just thinking about how um, people have that misconception about that the Bible would suppress those sort of things. Then a bit later in the day when I was thinking about this, um, I thought about the fact that it was talking about kissing. As, as far as I can understand, I don't think kissing provides any function. There's no like function to it. There's no purpose for it other than enjoyment. I just think like God's give the gift of kissing um, as something that's a gift to enjoy. And so just uh, was thanking God for that. I went over and kissed Lisa and I told her that her love was better than wine, um, to which she responded, you don't like wine. So that, that, that didn't work quite as well as I might have hoped. Um, but there you go. Um, I tried it. Um, then I was thinking about it. And, and just on the evening, I was thinking, well, there's different ways you can interpret the Song of Songs. I'm not getting into that now. But certainly in the Bible, throughout the Bible, marriage is used to reflect the relationship between Jesus and his people. I was just thinking in the same way the kissing is not really functional, it's just there to enjoy, that, that our relationship with Jesus isn't just a functional relationship, that he forgives our sins, therefore we go into heaven. No, it's a relationship where we can find joy and pleasure and delight. It's not the relationship of like a distant employer. It's an intimate relationship. 
And so that, those were my random thoughts from uh, Song of Songs, verse, chapter one, verse one. The point was to just say that if I just read that first thing in the morning, I thought, oh, yeah, that's one of those weird verses in the Bible, isn't it? And, and moved on. You sometimes miss things that God wants to say to you through his word. And so by meditating on it, I wasn't sat there the entire day yesterday thinking about it. I was just, as I went throughout the day, it would come back into my mind. I'd think about it a bit. Um, and, and, and that's what I felt like God was saying through that. It doesn't always work with a single verse. You often need the context around it. But just wanted to give a little example of what it means to meditate on God's word. It's just to chew it over, think about it from different angles, sit with it, um, think about what it means. Don't expect the, like, the insights to drop into our mind instantaneously as soon as we open the Bible. Sometimes we need to sit with it and dwell on it and think about it, to meditate on it. So we can engage with God's word, grow in our relationship with him by meditating on his word. And the final one... Um, Number eight is um, something not to do. So in verse 16, he says, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. So we can engage with God by not neglecting his word. And I think that's so often what happens. We want to read it. We, we intend to, but then other things get in the way and our attention is drawn elsewhere. We haven't disowned the Bible. We haven't disbelieved anything in it. It's just that it's sort of like, slipped we let it slip we've neglected it we won't neglect god's word when we understand its values what ben was talking about two weeks ago we won't neglect something we delight in which is what scott was talking about last week but we won't drift into a vibrant relationship with god we won't accidentally find ourselves in that sort of relationship we need to think about how we we, we what we need to do to not neglect his word we should plan, like, when am I going to read God's word? When am I going to listen to it? When, when am I going to do that? What do I need to shuffle around to make time for that? As Scott said last week, that sort of discipline to plan things like that is not, um, like, against our delight. It fuels it. When Scott was saying that, I was thinking about these little beauties. Now, this is a sun lolly, a grape flavor sun lolly. Now, I absolutely love these, um, and I used to have one every night, um, until they stopped selling them. Um, and you couldn't get them in like a, a lot of places. And then we discovered, oh, you can only get them in Morrison's, I think it was. So start, I never used to go to Morrison's. I'll go to Morrison's and get them. Then you couldn't get them in Morrison's in Hartlepool, but you could get them in Morrison's in Durham. So I would go through to Durham and get every sun lolly that was on the shelf and, and buy it. And that would last me for a few months. Then I'd go back. And all of a sudden, you couldn't get them at all in this country. And I had a few years. How many were, years do you reckon it was this Lisa reckons it might be as many as 10 years. Dark, dark days where I couldn't get a sun lolly. And then we discovered you could get them um, in other countries. Actually, I've noticed it's nine o'clock. I'm not going to continue to tell this story other than to say that to get these sun lollies, which I've got a decent stash in the garage at the moment, um, I only allow myself them on weekends to try and make it last. Um, but to get these sun lollies is a lot of effort. It has involved Rory battling with a language barrier in a Danish post office. It has involved Michelle, Michelle's husband, Sheldon, getting searched and having some confiscated from him at customs. It has involved a lot of effort for a lot of people for me to have these sun lollies. That's because I absolutely delight in them. I'm, I'm delighted to have this one now and I'm going to eat them. I mean, this one isn't frozen, but I'm going to eat a frozen one as soon as we finish here tonight. The point is that wouldn't, they, don't, they haven't accidentally fell into my possession. I've had to work. I've had to plan. I've had to uh, put some effort into it. That's not against delight. That doesn't somehow diminish the delight. I'm doing that because I delight in it. 
Ask God to help you delight in his word. The more you get into it, we were talking about this in our life group this week, the more you read, the more you want to read, the more you get into it, uh, the more you delight in it. So let's uh, just uh, finish here. There's many different ways we can engage with God's words. In today's list, we've looked at eight. We, we live it, we seek him in it, we hide it in our hearts, we learn from it, we speak it, we follow it, we meditate on it, we don't neglect it. Um, we haven't even mentioned like singing it, although some people did sing it earlier on for us. We haven't mentioned like praying it, we haven't mentioned like writing it out. There's loads of different ways we can engage with it. Don't see this as a list, with ta- a list of tasks. For some people, that's naturally how you take everything and you think, oh, I knew I had to read it. Now I've got to speak it as well and now I've got to meditate on it. Don't see it as a list of tasks. That's not how this writer sees it. This is like a feast laid out before you and you think, oh, I- I'm going to sample something that I haven't tried before or that I haven't experienced for a while. It can be helpful to think of God's word like food. We, we think of food, we, like we all need it. We feel the effects if we neglect it. The food we eat shapes quite literally the person we become. The food we eat affects every part of our lives, our mental health, our physical health, our energy levels, our physical abilities, our life expectancy, our susceptibility to other things. Food can be delightful, but we might lose sight of the delight of food if all we ever do is shove a bit of stale bread in the toaster every night. Food takes effort. It doesn't appear on our plate by magic. You've got to produce it or buy it or cook it, prepare it, pay for it. You've got to do something to get it. And often our enjoyment of it is directly proportional to the amount of effort or the the price you've paid for it. I can't remember the meals I ate on a daily basis last year, but I'm alive because I ate them. Jesus said, and he was quoting Deuteronomy when he said it, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need God's word. We, we, we desperately need it. It's not just something we need. We can feast on it. We can delight in it. And there's so many different ways we can engage with it. So let's try and engage with it this week. Um, and we, one of the ways we do that is by discussing it together. So it'd be great to uh, come to a life group this week and really discuss um, how we engage with God's word and how he speaks to us through it. I'm going to close with a quote from Charles Spurgeon on this. He says, The pleasures arising from a right understanding of God's word are of the most delightful order. Earthly enjoyments are utterly contemptible if compared with them. The sweetest joys, yes, the sweetest of the sweetest, falls to the person who has God's word in his heart.